Hey, our grand listeners, I'm Tim Yang, the producer, and we have a special episode for you today because it is the first in-person interview that I've done since 2020. This is also the first interview I've had to do myself, so just bear with me. I visited Edgar Jarens in a studio in the city, and we had a really nice conversation and was surrounded by his beautiful drawings and paintings. It is a far cry from Zoom interviews. Before we get into the interview, though, i like to give a trigger warning for the listeners because we do talk about suicide, mental illness, and alcohol abuse throughout this episode, which I know can be very distressing. So if you need resource or support, go to National 988 Crisis Line, call or text 988, or chat at 988lifeline.org, and please look after yourself. Now, with that in mind, I hope you enjoy this interview. Hey, outgoing listeners, I'm Tun Yang, the producer, and I'll be your host today. Uh, I have a rare opportunity to uh, interview Edgar Jarens in a studio in the Elizabeth Foundations for the Arts. And uh, Edgar is well known for his large-scale charcoal drawings depicting his family and friends, and he's also had solo exhibitions in museums and galleries across the U.S. Goff Books published Edgar Jarens' Life in Charcoals in 2023. I recently finished reading the book, and that's a lot to get into. But let's begin with how it all kind of started for you. Well, I grew up in Omaha, Nebraska, first generation. American. And my mother and her father, my grandfather, were both artists. So I grew up in a very creative atmosphere. And my older brother was an artist who was always better than me every year. You know, in sixth grade, I would look at what he did and I would look at what I did. And and, um, it inspired me to work really hard and be, I could never be as good as him, but um, I, I did everything I could to, you know, try to be. You weren't the eldest, right? You were... No, I was second in, in my brothers. There was Ron, me, Tom, and Alex. Got it. And was everyone an artist? Like, were they artistic? Ron was exceptionally talented and... I worked really hard. I think with my younger brothers, they were good. They were better than most of the people um, in in school. But they didn't work as hard at it as we did. Yeah, I remember reading about how uh, your parents actually got Ron private tutor, right? Yes. In high school, we had a teacher, Walter Duda, who was studying under this guy, Dimitar Khrushchev, who came into Omaha every Monday. And he was this Russian guy who taught very um, traditional skills. Like you had to earn your way to color and working from life from the figure. And it was either portraits or nudes. And when I wanted to come along with them, I was 14, I started attending the uh, the Monday night classes. That's pretty amazing. And it is a rare opportunity because I don't think most teenage kids get that sort of art education that early on. 
It was it. Ron was exceptional, and and people recognized that. And and this teacher did too, and his high school teacher, who I'm still friends with. And then it swept me along into that. It was great because he went all the way through, you know, materials, and and he talked about details, how to set up a palette, using the correct brushes, a lot of art rules. I learned a lot of art rules from from this guy. You've had such a hard life growing up. There was so much tragedy uh, that happened even before you got into college. So tell us a little bit more about that. Well, I, with my family, I would say my childhood was really great till I was about 12. And then unbeknownst to the family, my older brother had started having uh, problems, mental problems. And they subsided uh, and they, they came back and, and he had a full schizophrenic breakdown. And right before I went to, he was going to the Kansas City Art Institute and went down there and uh, he had to, uh, like a severe schizophrenic breakdown. And I went down with my mom and dad and, and it was, uh, needless to say, very rough. And I think it was that year he shot himself, killed himself. And I was there. So five months later, I went to art school. That's crazy. Yeah, and there were, you know, back then, I, I've never been to therapy, but there, there wasn't, it was in high school, and I went to school the next day. And there wasn't, um, there was, no one said anything, actually. It was pretty strange. Looking back. Right. You know. how, how did the rest of the family take it? Yeah, it was it was horrible. <laughs> it was very very difficult. Uh, the, the whole thing was difficult, you know. When he went from being this incredible artist to not being able to draw at, at all, he drew like a child. And he was when people are mentally ill, they're self aware too. He was aware of what he lost. Wow. So it was, um, you know, I I. I I wrote about that in the book, and 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 then um, eight years later, my youngest brother had a schizophrenic breakdown, and he shot himself also, two days apart. Which was again, you know, very horrible. Yeah, I can only imagine. And this happened while you were in college, right? The, the second suicide was I was in uh, upstate New York and, you know, working on my career. It was eight years later. So that was, that was two of my brothers. And then my final brother, uh, unbeknownst again to everyone, uh, had a drug and alcohol problem, which really came to full force when he turned 30. He started having severe liver problems, and that then that continued on um, all I think till two thousand fifteen, somewhere there. Wow. So you are 
the last remaining child in the family, right? I'm the last remaining person in my family. Yeah, there were six of us and everyone's gone. Wow. But um, the, the, all of that tragedy uh, eventually worked its way into my artwork. And I started depicting, um, depicting what I went through, through, you know, sort of showing it through uh, other people's lives. That is one of the hardest things to do, like subject matter wise. How do you depict something, you know, tragedy into art in a way that, that matches, you know, what you're trying to say? Yeah, interestingly, when I went to art school, uh, I, I focused, I was always focused on the figure and I was always focused on portraits, on specific people. Even in high school, I started drawing my friends. And my work, I, I never had a way to make artwork that, that related to these tragedies that were in my life until later. I think it took me uh, um, 20 years to process it mm. and, and to be more mature and find a way to, to create those images. Because if, if I tried to think about how I could do some artwork about what happened in my family and to my brothers, I, I, it, it wasn't there. You know, like the imagery would be too obvious and, and um, too melodramatic. Mm. And how these drawings developed was, uh, and that's what I'm known for, these large narrative drawings. I got my first art dealer, Peter Tatischeff, in New York, and he liked the work that I was doing, which was... Uh, uh, and he brought me into the gallery, but it was it wasn't uh, the the big drawings. I was still painting in oil primarily, and and I was doing images of my wife and my one year old baby, Ruby, our baby. And Peter basically laid out a challenge, and he said to get noticed in New York. He said, "There's a lot of a lot of artists painting their families and painting, which is important. You, you paint things that that are meaningful to you, and what's more meaningful than your wife and your your children?" And he said, "To to get noticed in New York, uh, the work has to have an edge to it." And it was everything fell in place in a way because I had my first art dealer. He would have shown whatever. I came up with. He, he would have, we were working towards my first New York City Chelsea gallery opening. And uh, what I did was I, I, um, I, I did what I always did whenever, you know, I'm, I'm facing sort of a, a, a big event or a crisis or something. And I talked to all my friends and uh, my artist friends were kind of thrilled they were like wow that's i wish my gallery would say that because in effect he said create artwork that doesn't sell like, like difficult work hard work and so i stopped doing I, I put away my 
books of the old masters and, and I stopped going to museums and, and I was finishing up some commission portraits, save getting money ready. And I was on the phone call with a friend really late at night telling her, you know, this is, I, I don't have images. I, I don't know where to take this. And she said, why don't you do a drawing of your brother or a painting? Why don't you do a painting of your, your brother, Tom? And it, it was a proverbial light bulb went off. I'm like, okay, I, I'm going to fly out to Omaha, do a drawing of my one remaining brother who was already having uh, uh, real difficulties with alcohol, with addiction. And my mom put him in my mom's house. So what I did was I... I, I flew out, put Tom in front of the two rooms where my, uh, the room on the right, my brother Ron killed himself. And in the room on the left behind him, my brother Alex shot himself eight years later. And it's the rooms that my daughters would sleep in when we go visit my mom. And so I, I, I put all that together and then I decided to light Tom from below. And... I just, you know, simple clamp light, low tech, um, getting my my photographs to work from, and it all fell into place. And then, and then that drawing, with that drawing, Tom and I experienced the same events. So, it opened that door. That drawing opened the door into uh, looking at other people facing difficult difficulties crises um, uh, and uh, in their lives and, and then um, I came back and I, I I worked up a drawing and I was going to do three drawings and then three paintings and I had I had roughly about a year before my show and I still was thinking completely as a painter and and but I would do the drawings uh, uh, more finished, so they would be fin re relatively finished drawings. And the next image was a friend of uh, a friend of ours who was going. His wife took his daughter, five-year-old daughter, and went to the North Fork of Long Island and just left him. You know, and she's way out there, and he's alone and, and lonely. And I, I could only imagine how difficult that is. And so, uh, so I did a drawing of him and then another friend, uh, that was my friend Robert, and another friend of mine, Tripp, uh, had just gotten divorced with kids. So, so you have all that sadness mixed in. And I went down and did, did a drawing of Tripp. So I had three single men in these images and worked up the drawings, brought them in and showed Peter the tea chef and Peter's looking at them and he said, why don't we do a drawing show? Mm. And so that was it. I was off and running. I, I was thinking about that too. I was wondering what if, you know, you had ended up creating paintings and I think the drawing matches the, the simplicity of just dark chalk, you know, just charcoal on paper matches the intensity of the subject matter in a way, like it's very, it's more direct because the content is so heavy. 
that maybe if it was a painting that might have been a little more distracting. Yeah, I agree. Uh, there's drawing is so basic, so it's so simple. You know, it's charcoal and paper. Black and white is immediate. It's direct, and I I wanted these images to have the maximum impact, and and so. Once I did the first show, I think that first year I made maybe seven drawings. I was working primarily in vine. Uh, my my tendency is to go for details, but I was working looser and 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 just I was uh, I was so excited and and just full of energy and and uh, uh, doing all these different drawings, and so we filtered it down to six drawings that that first show. And then it's uh, 20 years later, and I'm still doing black and white drawings. It's still, it, it, it's still the uh, uh, most effective way for me to tell these narratives of my friends and family. And there, was, there were some narratives that I, I would say in the beginning, the narratives were... Uh, always had hope, always had uh, 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 a feeling of, you know, people rising above adversity. And and then um, uh, for that reason, I avoided doing uh, images about mental illness. But then once I crossed over and started doing, I, I did a whole series of drawings of my cousin Anita, who was manic depressive. And then it, then it moved into a different place, but uh, um, a, in a way, a darker place. Mm. You know, then there's less hope there. And uh, my experience with mental illness is that it, people don't get better. Yeah, I think you captured so much of the internal state in those facial expressions, which is really subtle if you look at the eyes in a lot of these drawings there's almost this a feeling of lack of hope or you know yeah on those on those and it, it was a shift it was it was in the later later images and and um and and i i tried um and my subject matter moves all over the place too i i, I I did images of violence and, and images of, um, you know, I, the, the, that first group was, was loneliness and, and, um, and, and other difficulties. And I did do some, I, like guns appeared quite a bit. My, my brothers shot themselves with a twenty two rifle and rifles. And my brother Alex actually went borrowed a 22 from a friend of his so it's the same kind of gun and and so um so those were that was kind of that was a recurrent image in in the early drawings and uh, uh and then i moved into and, and in the beginning too it was primarily the, it was kind of focused on the man you know i had turned 40 there were there were a few themes running through the 
the imagery and uh, my earlier shows, I would say, I would call them men, men in their 40s, you know. And eventually that opened up to just anyone and also to families, mm. family dynamic. The, the thing about turning 40, uh, also, you know, my, my friends and all, a lot of the people around me were turning 40 and like everyone when they're young, or everyone, a lot of people when they're young, when I conquer the world, they're going to be the, the a famous artist and, and, and they're going to do all these things. And, and, and you should feel that way. I mean, that's what youth is about. Um, and uh, I felt that way. Yeah. You know? And then at 40, you start, the, the reality kind of sets in and not just for artists, of course, you know, but a lot of people start seeing where, where their career path might might be going or where it might be failing. Um, by that point, addictions start, you know, your habits start to harden. Yeah. So a lot of my imagery is, is about addiction, drug addiction and alcohol, substance abuse. And, um, and a lot of my friends, like a lot of the marriages were collapsing, you know, or mm. on their way towards that. So a lot of things happen, you know, between 40 and 50. And, and you're kind of halfway through your life, right? Yeah. So, so you start, um, that, that, that becomes part of it too, you know. 40 is like, it's a gut check for most guys. <laughs> halfway home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then you, you feel the clock ticking and all these things that you have not done yet, like you start seeing how much, or how little time you have to accomplish all those things. Or... Yeah, and that 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 worked its way into the imagery. That that was a, that was a big part of it. So by f at the time of the show, you already you were with your wife, and did you say you did you already have a kid by then? Yeah, yeah. My first daughter Ruby was married to Alana, and my first daughter Ruby was um, she was born in '98, so she would have been. Um, three years old in that first show and I did I did uh, um, one drawing self-portrait with with um, I Ruby must Ruby would have been five or six with with my wife pregnant in the drawing and me in our small apartment in New York and I, I tried in in that particular drawing I wanted to put in my, uh, do a self-portrait where I'm putting in the, the worries, you know, like your first, your primary worry when you're having a new child is going to be their health, you know, but you go past that, it's like, how, how do I support the family? And we're living in this tiny little place in New York, one bedroom in New York. And, um, and the, um, uh, the title is uh, The Artist's Family, We Need to Move. <laughs> and we're still there. <laughs> oh, so man. so the, the, uh, uh, in New York, you, you can't really move around. Once you have a, we have a rent-stabilized uh, apartment, and, and it becomes impossible to move. You know, it's a hard career. So uh, worried about you know, paying the rent and, and, and all, the, all that entails. Yeah, I actually um, want to go back in time a little bit because you kind of 
skipped over a lot of things. Sure. Um, so, for example, I know when you got into college, uh, you went to Pennsylvania Academy of Arts, right? Yes. And then you got a almost like a full scholarship at 18. Which I actually pretty... walked out of that place making money. Nice. So I, with, with, <laughs> I, I only paid one semester and I won a fair amount of awards. Yeah. That's... And and going back a little bit, Dimitar Khrushchev, he was aware of the figurative schools. Uh, uh, like he, uh, all I wanted to do was the figure and portraits and, and um, representational work and create the uh, three-dimensional space, the illusion of three-dimensional space. And the academy was great. It was a, a figurative school, uh, primarily I mean, you had some people working abstract and things, but it was, it was, it was all figure, all from life, painting, drawing, and sculpting, um, and um, um, skills were encouraged. There was no such thing as de-skilling there, and we just spent every day. You know, in the morning it, it would be working at doing the nude, then in the afternoon maybe a portrait. And then you were allowed to take evening classes or we'd go home and work. But it was working from life and doing the figure. And everything was focused on that. So the teachers um, um, and the students, we all critiqued each other's, each other's work. And, and there was, um, I mean, art school, that's what it's about. You yeah. Know? And so, so it, was a, it was a perfect school for me. Sounds like an incredible time. Like just the fact that you were able to put that many hours into it, into the craft. It w it was great, and and you know we didn't no nobody was working from photographs or, you know, um, I started, uh, um, you know, there's a point where you, you you kind of if you have backgrounds and you're doing complicated imagery, um, um, and also if you're not paying your models, you can only you know with even with friends they they can't pose all the time so. Right. Um, photography mm -hmm. came in later, but I think if you have that training, if you train from life, and and the other thing that we did when we did drawings of the figure, it was primarily twenty minute poses. So mm -hmm. so you're constantly drawing, 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 like a, a, a really honing your skills, and so you're not doing one image for three months where you're going to get it right. Like this was this was just this challenge to try to get what you can in twenty minutes, and all different poses, you know. So um, um, lying on the floor, doing all kinds of different poses. So, um, so it was, it was everything I wanted. Yeah, and then you you got another award, right? Uh, right before you left. Yeah, I I got the Elizabeth Greenshields grant which is a great grant for everyone to try for if, yeah. if, if you're a representational artist. Um, it, they, they, do, they don't give it to you when you're in school. So I applied, actually a lot of people applied from the academy. Yeah. And um, um, I had this one painting of a friend of mine in uh, almost nude, smoking a cigarette in a leather jacket, you know, like very erotic and kind of punky and I had these pillows tied up like a bondage kind of image in the front and 
I got the I got the grant. Nice. And how old were you by this time? I would have been 22. 22. So 18 to 22, four-year certificate. And in the grant, I said I wanted to move to L.A. I'd never been to Los Angeles, but I wanted to move to L.A. to see how that would affect my work, the light and, and being there. And I'd never lived anywhere where there's palm trees. Right. So I... I drove cross country with with a friend and um, arrived in L.A. Actually, we, I think we slept overnight in the car in Beverly Hills. So wow. Did you did you guys have any friends in L.A.? Did you know anybody there? I didn't know anyone. Wow. So you just like going there with not much of a plan? Just no. And and I had a little bit of money from this grant, right? Right. And and uh, uh, Beth had a cousin that was there who made it real clear that that we're only allowed in their place for like they they didn't make they didn't welcome us got it with open arms but, but they did let us stay there and and her brother lived in Ensenada so she was about maybe a couple hours away down south but but um she stayed up in LA while I was looking for apartments so we just drove I drove around um I had a gremlin Orange gremlin. My dad would pass me down his cars. So it was this orange gremlin. And um, driving around, and, and we just, I, I saw a sign. It was a, uh, this apartment building at La Brea and Franklin. And um, it was 230 a month or something. Wow. So, you know, kind of a rough building, but yeah. great neighborhood, like right, right off Hollywood Boulevard. Hey. In your twenties, like you, you can put up with any sort of living condition. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it was it was, I was I was really lonely. You know, it was I went I, I left my girlfriend and all my friends in Philadelphia and wow. um, didn't literally didn't know anybody. And, but um, but Beth's brother hired me to do a portrait of his son. So that kind of got me going, and and uh, um, and I was on a real strict kind of budget. I had to think about everything, which is normal, right? <laughs> yeah, know? totally. I mean, I guess most people have to budget, right? Yeah. And the light did affect my work, and and at that time also, um, one of the things that I I used to do a lot of are pastel landscapes. I started those with Dimitar Khrushchev because I went from drawing to pastels. And then to oil, you had to earn your way through each step. Got it. And I started going out doing landscapes on location in Nebraska. Mm. And then that carried through. I did a lot of landscape, pastel landscapes in um, Philadelphia and that area. So when I arrived to Los Angeles, it's California is beautiful. Yeah. You know? Los Angeles is beautiful. I'd just go up in the hills. I'd go up. I, I would hike up to the Hollywood sign and, and just draw it images of uh, of the city and, and they sold you know mm. so so landscapes are always a good option f for artists to do yeah I, I don't know if I saw any of those on on your website do you still have images from those of those drawings I I don't know I haven't looked at the website in a while I'll, I'll have to look but um but yeah I did Man, I, over the years, I did lots and lots, and I I love nature, and I I just 
working on location, I would have my French easel and I'd work primarily, you know, 19 by 25 cans on paper. Yeah. My big set of uh, Rembrandt pastels. And um, um, and I'd, you're out there. And, and I love the challenge of that, working mm. from life and, and trying to... There's a speed element to that too. You you have to predict where the sun's going to be and 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 set everything up and work towards um, that that time. Like I w- I would always do the golden hour, you know, when the trees cast shadows or you you get more in your landscape. So, did you do that in the morning or? I'd usually start around one o'clock. Like if sunset was at seven, right? You know, and I I would start two pastels usually. Maybe at six o'clock, then everything looks gets really good looking. Yeah, I, I did all those landscapes. I was painting nudes at that time. Did some self portraits. It was the beginning of my career, you know. And the grant ran out. One of the things that's kept me going as an artist is because um, the next thirty years I survived solely on the sale of my work. Oh, that's amazing! Never had a job. Wow. That's impressive. I mean, that's... Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> well, you find ways, you know, you, you have to be creative about it. Right? Yeah. So you s- sort of, you keep your, you look for ways to, um, to live. Uh, I, I, um, my girlfriend, Dory and I, like when uh, I met her in Los Angeles mm-hmm. and I wanted to come back to the East coast and, she was at Otis Parsons, so came back to the East Coast, and I ended up in this um, house in Sneedon's Landing, which is about 15 miles north of the city. And the owner, uh, a friend, a Latvian friend of mine, Lila, arranged that we would be there for four months mm. while, while there was a... Um, Dory was going to school. So end up in this big giant historic house i have two floors we have we have two floors and um a pool and a gazebo everything's kind of run down but yeah um but my neighbors were mike nichols and diane sawyer and all these (laughs) celebrities and doctors and lawyers and once i was there I, i i did a portrait i realized like this is an amazing setup and free right yeah uh, we had to cover um, oil, uh, heating, and the house is pretty cold. <laughs> People would come there and freeze, like visit me. But um, so I did a portrait of uh, the owner's son, hmm. Arthur Brandt. I did a portrait of his son David, and you know, kind of securing like, okay, this is a great setup. So an artist has to, you know, my advice for younger artists would would be to. You know, keep your expenses low. You know, try not to own a lot of stuff, and then and then be flexible. You know, be flexible in terms of living situations, and and also be flexible in terms of your imagery. So, I I I survived for periods of time on my landscapes. Uh, portraits have been uh, that's where you need to learn skills, right? Mm. Learn skill sets, and and if you're good at portraits, that that that's always there. You know? Yeah, and then later when I lived in that house for eleven years, it was just you know a great setup. Yeah, 
Did you go into the city? Because it was like yeah, an I, hour away or something. No, real close. Well, 45, 40 minutes, you know. Dory left. And then I met my wife, Alana, and she wasn't going to move out there. She was in the city. Like so, in Manhattan? Yeah, she's in Manhattan. Got it. And um, we were both at that place where you're looking for your wife and husband, your life partner. And, and so I moved into the moved into the city. We found a, the apartment we're still in. Oh, wow. 29 years ago. And friend of hers, uh, her, a friend of hers husband's, uh, Steve, Steve Gardner, I, I meet him and I'm like going, ah, oh, you know, I'm worried about, you know, rent and rent and all this. And he's like, well, I, uh, he was an illustrator. And he goes, I'll introduce you to my agent. Like, and I'm competing, a really great guy. I'm yeah. competing directly with, with him you know, for book covers and things. And um, so I picked up, I was 35 or something, you know, but then I started doing some illustration. Mm. And that was cool too. I, I, I liked illustration. I think I saw some of those. It was like the Christmas. That was later. I did some album opera. covers. Yeah. yeah. But I, I did um, I did some book covers. It was it wasn't a full time thing, you right? Know, but um, it allowed me. That's what I was talking about. Like you know, I think people. It's good to be flexible, and my philosophy, in terms of uh, uh, surviving as an artist, was to take take on every job. You know, take on like so with illustration. I'm still learning. I'm still mm. painting. I ended up painting lots of angels and, and uh, because I could do kind of an old master's style. So I ended up doing a lot of religious work and, and angels and never could do Jesus well. Like, <laughs> like I did a lot of sort of bad Jesuses. They were, it, it's, it, it was so hard. Yeah. You're taking on the history of art and the greatest paintings ever made, right? Yeah. And, and, and all that. And, that was that was tough, but angels. I used my wife for all the angels, and, and you make it sound easy. But like I'm, I'm looking at some of these portraits you have drawn, and it's like that's really hard to capture, like the beauty. And I think you did a really good job with some of these. Well, thank you. Yeah, I I think um, I just I know this sort of sounds corny, but I I love people. I like people. I like to to capture them, you know, to, to sort of get them down on a paint on canvas or, or a drawing and, and to find, I was always, I always had a gift for portraiture, but a lot of it is watching someone and, and, and then finding out, watching them and getting that moment that's most them, mm. you know, whether it's a, a, how they sit, how they look, a gesture, um, and, and some of it's just instinct, you know. You're not just copying. You're trying to put together different moments into one moment. Yeah, and, and to get get their soul, right? to get them. We both know, like if you go to a museum and you look at the old masters, like a great portrait, you look at it, it's, uh, it's clearly more than just the surface. Right? Yeah. You, 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 you get a feeling of that person. Yeah. And, and it's an enigma. Like, how does that happen or does that happen? But I always felt I, I was gifted 
with that, being able to, to get that person, put them on canvas and then, or paper, and then the viewer translate, transmit that out, back out, that the viewer can look and, and, and get a feeling of who that person is. And, mm. and, um, and so it, all of that, whether it's, um, uh, I mean, with a commission portrait, I never did smiles or teeth or th those are horrible. Like, you know, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> like, true. like, you know, I'm, like, I'm looking at these. Yeah. They're, none of them have toothy smiles. They all have. Well, those like, if someone wanted that in a commission portrait, I, I just wouldn't do it. Yeah, you know, yeah. It just looks horrible. Right. But, um, but. Except with, for these guys. Well, yeah, that's, that's new. That I'm doing some open mouths and some more expressive stuff now. I'm always pushing and trying new things but commission portraits I I, I wanted a, a softness to it like like mm. um, it's it's different than the drawings like in in commission portraits I would tell the people like get them posed and I didn't want them to look like they're posing right right so then I'd go you know think of something pleasant you know just a soft pleasantness to the face mm. and then with the, with the drawings I don't I, I want I want something deeper. You know, right, like inner turmoil, and, yeah. and, and you know. So for your personal work, yeah, you definitely want to go further and darker, perhaps. So, if you have, let's say, like three tips for artists out there that wants to get into portrait commissions, like you're, you've already given some great tips. Um, do you have any more? Sure, I, I'll start with the basics. Um, um, Learn like like get your skill level as high as you can get it, and that's from working from life and and learn you know anatomy. I learned X amount of anatomy, uh, um, like the New York Academy. I, I think their anatomy stuff is great. I, I think you know the more you know, the better. Yeah. Um, you do learn anatomy by uh, by drawing over and over and over and correcting it. You you eventually learn anatomy so so you have to have your skill levels um, really high the second thing is um, not everyone can do it but you, you have to be personable like mm. you have to be someone that you have to be social you have to be out there and to meet people you're in their house with their children their wife they have to trust you right you know? so that's that's the second thing is kind of the, the social aspect and 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 also putting people at ease when they're posing, yeah. and soft skills. Okay, yeah, the soft skills. One other thing is, uh, um, I think one mistake some people make is uh, they do a big separation between the commission work, uh, portraits, and and their own work. I never separated. I worked just as hard on the portrait work. I mm -hmm. never wanted anything of mine going out there that I would walk into a house and go, ah. Oh, Man, I really cut corners there, you know, right. trying, trying to make money. Yeah. Because there's a, a wonderful history of portraiture, right? So, so be part of that. Like, like make it your own work. What happens is some, some artists will separate and they'll, they'll kind of cut corners on their portraits. And it's not great. There's a lot of bad portraits out there. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. Those would be that would be my main advice, and then and then what what's great about portraiture, that's what's great about learning real skills when you go to art school or you know or or you learn them on your own. 
You learn real skills. You learn it from painting and drawing the human figure mm. from life. And that the, the life work is super important. And the, the thing about one great, cool thing about portraiture is that for one, you meet a lot of interesting people, but it opens doors too, you know, like the, you do a portrait, they might buy your landscapes and art's pretty isolating. You know, most artists, myself included, you're alone most of the time. You, you know, it's just you and your work, unless you have a model. But even there, it's like most of us can't afford to have a model yeah. all the time. So portraiture gets you out and gets you into these, you know, maybe big mansions and cool places and, and you meet these people. And, and, and then it's the challenge is exciting too, like capturing that person. One other quick thing, just a technical thing, um, that I learned along the way is one good thing is is to have no surprises. You know? mm. So, so what I do uh, if I get a portrait is I'll get a portrait, do my initial drawing, work with the person, and then take tons of photos. Um, I work, I use photo, photography a lot. I never project. I, I, I everything's freehand, but Let's say you're traveling, so I get the get that image. Then that evening, I work up a scale pastel. So it's it's and mounted on foam core. Whatever you do, you just tape it down on foam core. I would do it in color, just so it's a it's a color rough with pastels. Mm -hmm. So it's two scale, color rough, and then you present it to the client the next day, and they can even hold it up to the wall they're hanging it on, but. But at that point, there's no surprises. So mm. it's insurance for you, too, so that they, they can't say, I, I didn't know it would be this big or this would happen in the image. That's a really good tip because you wouldn't even think of doing that. And that's just through experience. Yeah, yeah. The good thing, like I say, it's, it, it, it helps both sides. So if they, if they turn that down, then you just repeat the process. Reshoot, do it again, mm. work up another piece until that... that it's good for everybody. Yeah, and and also, I, it's hard to show artwork along the way. That way, you can just present the final image um, instead of something halfway where they see problems and they start getting nervous. You've shown them roughly what they're going to get. Right. It works. I feel like all all those exercises and experience helped you and doing the series that you're working on now, because it's the same, it's a very similar process, right? You're setting people up, trying to get certain moments out of them. And yes, yes, except I don't have to get their approval. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and most of the people, I mean, w once I ask someone to be part of my, draw to do a drawing of them, uh, I've, I've been, rarely been turned down. Hmm. Been turned down a couple times, but uh, and, and sometimes I can't get the image too. Sometimes, like I'll have the idea and and I'll have like a great setting and a compelling person or a group of people, and I just can't get it. Mm. You, know? you know, a lot of it is process of elimination, too. And do you just like move on, or yep. do you try to go back to it later? Or um, if I have something 
the, the last image I'm doing, I've, I've photographed for three years. So I've come up with different, this one here. Ah. I've come up with different uh, variations, but a l most of the time I probably just completely just walk away from it, go to the next image. Right. You know, I, I've just been thinking like through all of this, you know, you're in your 30s now and you're doing really well. You're still making art. I'm just wondering, like, is it a specific part of your personality that keeps you going, that, that made you, you know, who you are now? Because I think if other people were put into your position with all the different tragedies, they would have probably had a different outcome, right? Like, I feel like you're extremely optimistic or like there's something in you that got you this far. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I, uh, in the past, I mean, I quit drinking five years ago. I, I probably drank a little too much. I mean... I had my coping things, yeah. you know. I'll tell you, work, hard work has, has always been my go-to place. Mm. You know, when a tragedy happened in the past, I would, um, not when I was 17 maybe, but I would, I would just pour myself into my work. Mm. And art's been a salvation for me. Like, uh, I I think also I was most the most like my mom. My mom, like, if you take my life and, and, and the tragedies, it's amplified a hundred times because it's her kids. Yeah. And then the other thing is my mom. When Tom was my brother, Tom was homeless, and um, we did everything we could. Like she would take him in. Uh, he'd be coming out of prison for something and. And uh, she, he'd be sober. She'd take him into the house, and and then he he would start drinking again, mm. and, and we'd come home and covered in blood, just nightmarish stuff. Wow. And then she couldn't take it, you know. Mm. But my mom always loved life. Like life is always worth living. Mm. And and I think I I'm like my mom, you know. And and uh, and even at the end, my mom died two years ago, year and a half ago, and not last summer, summer before. But she still, she still would look. She she was never bitter. Mm. She, and she she never let let all that hap that happened to her um, make her bitter and and um, angry. And she she just loved. I mean, she'd say like set up a bird feeder like when she was in she had some memory loss at the end and I, I had to put her into a I couldn't she couldn't be alone mm. in the house that we grew up in and um, I, I set up some bird feeders and she would just sit and watch the birds and just you know enjoy what life had mm. it, that's not a passive thing I feel like, like you need to be constantly looking towards the positive and that's where work, like occupying yourself, you know, hard work. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with hard work. Right. And and one of the things that I ju I just realized, not not that long ago, like after the book has been out and everything, and that is that you know it, it took me 20 years to sort of filter and be able to make images about what happened to to our family. My mom 
it, it was 40 years later where, where um, my mom was an artist and she did a series of lithographs. She would take classes at UNO at the mm -hmm. college and then do these lithographs. And then she did this whole series of lithographs of, um, of the war mm. and World War II. And, and um, they had to flee Latvia and they were in Germany and, and they, were in just, they were in Germany during the war for about eight months while the war was still, and starving and working in these factories. And then they, they were in displaced person camps. But she, she went back, and interestingly too, in black and white. I mean, she added some color to the lithographs, but mm. she, she did th these images of, of her youth and what she went through and, and, uh, uh, and just the devastation. And, and my mom was a real historian. She was a historian of the family, but she had all these books about Stalin and Hitler and World War II and, and, and all that happened because all of Europe was torn apart and all of her relatives and every, everyone was affected mm. and, and everyone's lives were, you know, they, they had to flee because of Stalin and Hitler. Mm. I was surprised at how much detail um, that was in the book about her early life. Yeah, I thought I thought that would set. I know in the book, um, I wrote about her and a little bit about my grandfather, but okay. the fact that my mom was an artist and that the the narratives were supported by images, I think, make, gives them a, a fuller impact, you know. And then, like I say, she then she I have some of those images in the book, but mm. then she went back and and revisited what uh, what she went through in the war yeah and my mom and i were always really close and we were talked about everything and and you know everything but <laughs> but we talked a lot about art you know? mm. and we talked we talked and she was tough man she would critique my stuff <laughs> she there was there was nothing i mean if something was off like you know or she didn't like it she would just go like She'd let me know. She's so what does she think about the series that you did, um, the drawings, like once you started working on those? Well, she posed for one. Oh, no uh, way. Yeah, she's, okay. it was me and my brother Tom and me. It was a self-portrait. Um, she liked them. She never said anything negative. Like, I know she was happy, you know, like I was able to show them uh, I did what I could to exhibit in Nebraska mm. and still do. Yeah. It's something that she took pride in, you know, like I would have some work of some, a couple of my big drawings in a group show or something. And we'd all go out and go to the opening and, nice. um, you know, it was great. Yeah. And I have to feel she was proud of me. You know, she was an artist, like uh, yeah. her thinking and the way she thought. And so, I was the one son who made it out, you know. Yeah, she must have been very proud. Well, that was that. One of the things I did was to I, I went back two summers and worked, you know, worked construction, and I worked in a factory. And in between, you know, first two years art school, and then I started doing portraits. I mean, mm -hmm. I was doing pastel portraits and making the same money I'd make as working in a factory, but I got out. I, like if I had stayed in Omaha, um, I think it, I think that would have really sunk me. Mm. It's hard to imagine 
like it was hard enough, like, you know, hearing from my dad and my mom and all these things that were happening to my brother, Tom. It's hard enough, like I'm here. Right. And the other thing I did, like I said, I, uh, you know, it was work, but I think the things that got me through was being social, all mm-hmm. my friends. You know, when I went to art school, I, ne- I never did therapy. I never did any of that. But I, I talked to my friends, you know, things would go bad. And I just, I, like, I, I was very worried. I was, I was mentally ill. You know? Right. And um, my friend John talked me out of it. He's like, it's nothing wrong. You're not mentally ill. Yeah. Know? And I needed to hear that. Yeah. You know? And then, and then, um, uh, and then I carved something out of this life that my own family, you know, I mm. married Alana, wonderful person, you know, life partner. And then uh, we have two daughters, Ruby and Sterling. And that, that's very soul affirming, very, you know, it, it having having people that that you love and your family, you know, that's really important. Instead of um, being alone and lonely, and and it's such a art art's a pretty lonely journey. Yeah, which we mentioned before, you know. Absolutely, it's like if you let it, you will. Yeah, you will just like die and. On the easel, <laughs> you know? or you start obsessing, or obsessing, yeah, you know, like like when I when periods of, in my life where I was alone, you, you start like making up all kind like oh this person's an enemy and like this, and you start making stuff up because you're yeah. alone, and you and you start building these. It becomes an echo chamber because there's no feedback. So like in your mind, all these things just start kicking around, but it, it, in a very unhealthy way. If you're a, Oh, if you're I've alone had, yeah. too, too long in your studio, like that starts to happen. And that is not healthy. And part of the reasons I started doing like the podcast or like start curating shows is just to get out of that. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. You, you, you find ways like you, 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 life is hard. Life, yep. life is life is difficult and it's hard. And, and, and you get hit with these things, whether it's health or. Uh, certainly all of us, our parents are going to die. And um, and you find ways to, you know, get by and, and yeah. enjoy this while, while we're here, you know, enjoy totally. it. And, and uh, yeah, the loneliness, you, you and I've seen, we've both seen it, but where, where an artist sort of, you're isolated and, 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 and they might not have a partner and they're, they're away from their family and they, start going a little crazy oh yeah <laughs> we, we we've all been through it i think uh even if you have a partner you know if they're not in the studio like you don't see them that much because you're if you're working on your craft a lot oh yeah so yeah it's also that but at least you have someone to talk to right. at some point. <laughs> you know? and and yeah. you know and you got to be careful about like alcohol and drugs you know yeah like like those things it's a can... slippery slope yeah. And, yeah, and that's the other, you know, uh, as you get older, you know, like those habits can become... Um, oh, there's a certainly a compound effect of bad habits that catch up to you in your 40s. Yeah, and, and, it, and it's 50s and, and, <laughs> and then, you know, 
and then there's the, the health aspects. But uh, for me, you know, I, I had to change certain things and, and I'm, I'm really glad I did. And you're older and you can't take, I'm 65, uh, your body can't take that abuse. No. What, what's your routine right now? Like, do you have like exercise routines? Yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm really trying to stay healthy. I, I get up and I do a set of exercises, um, maybe about 20 minutes, 15 minutes, but strength exercises nice. before I have coffee. Oh, okay. It's something I saw on the internet. <laughs> like, so you reward yourself. Like, Got it. So right when I get up, 25 push-ups, I, I do this set of exercises. And and then I have my coffee, mm. and I and and um, and if I'm sick, I do half exercise. If I have a cold or something, I'll do half sets, and uh, I do that every day, every wow. day. And Impressive. then um, and then I ride my bike and uh, to the studio and back. And as you know, New Yorkers, yeah, we walk a lot. Yeah. So so walking is just as good as running, right? They, they say it's really healthy. So so just being in New York. You, you do, and we're on the fourth floor, so I'm going up and down stairs all day, and I'm walking here or mostly riding my bike when I can. So nice. yeah, that's that's really important, and and I try to eat uh, as well as I can. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one, one of the when I quit drinking, yeah, one of the last pleasures, right? Food. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. So, um, what are some of your pleasures now? Like, what have you replaced that with? Coffee and um, I like food. When I was younger, I didn't care about food at all. I, it, it wasn't important. And um, I mean, I love movies. Uh, I've always been a, a, a huge fan. So when I get home, I watch half hour, an hour of whatever I'm watching. Whether it's you know, there's 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 a lot of bad stuff, but there's a lot of good stuff. Oh yeah, a lot of good stuff. Yeah. And most importantly, my family. You know, and my friends. So, um, and I like just joking around, you know. So when I get together with friends, like, like, it's just natural. For, I'd say most of my friends have pretty healthy senses of humor. So we just kind of joke, you know. Nice. Try to find <laughs> the humor in everything. Yeah, you you kind of have to. Yeah, yeah. It makes it, it makes everything better. Yeah. I was reading this book. Um, I think it was on Malcolm Gladwell, and I like Gladwell. Yeah, and then it, it was talking about this one town where everybody was just dying of old age, and it just happened that there were like these multi generational fam Italian families there that just knew each other and had such good communities there, so that it was it was like the healthiest type of. Um, Environment. Environment for everyone there. I mean, they, there were people that were overweight and stuff, but like they still were happy and, you know, like just dying of old age. Whereas everybody around that town had issues. So I think that's really important. Family, community. Yeah, yeah, hugely important. And, and I, I know um, I've been, I teach, I'm adjunct at New York Academy and, and, um, uh, I started in, two, my first class was 2010. Now I just teach this class, but large narrative drawings. But what was what was great was that, you know, after the 30 years of pretty much being alone and with friends and, and, and partners and things, 
um, all of a sudden I was like back in this community of artists. It was like it was like going back to art school, but I'm a teacher now. But it was it was really similar, and the, and everyone's focused on skills and working from life and the figure, um, and and it was uh, it was great to be part of something mm. again, part of a community. And then it's similar here at Elizabeth Foundation, where I have a studio and there's other artists around, and um, um, and so th- that was pretty nice. And I I always did critiques, like I've done. When I was with Peter Tatischeff, I, I would do, um, you know, things where college would fly you out and you lecture, mm-hmm. I'd lecture about my drawings, and then the students sign up for half-hour critiques. Mm-hmm. So all my life, I've done a lot of critiques, but in terms of having an actual class and a group of students for fifteen weeks, uh, that was two thousand ten, and I've done these some work these workshops in high schools. I love high school students and, yeah. and um, um, I got some really great artwork. I worked with really wonderful teachers and I don't teach that much. I mean, mm. I, I like it. It's it's hard and it's very draining. Oh, yeah. yeah. It takes a lot of energy out of you. It takes a lot of energy. Yeah. You know, it's rewarding and, and I know a lot. Like I feel like, you know, I know a lot, like whether it's art history or artists I like or art, artists they might, students might not know about. Yeah. Down to simple technical stuff. You know? Yeah, including perspective. We even did a course with you <laughs> recently. <laughs> Measuring in perspective. Measure, yeah. But but it comes down to the simplest whole, how to hold your pencil. Yeah. You know, how, what erasers to use. How, you know, uh, when you're painting, what brush, you know, using bristle brushes and sables, you know, or fake sables. Yeah. All of, all of those things count. So... How did the the book begin? I know there's a story behind it. I'm oh, curious, okay. That, like how it all started. So when the lockdown happened, I was at the Elizabeth Foundation, and it's right off Times Square, and the the building was um, technically closed because non-essential workers. So mm. um, so when the city locked down. I'm sitting in my studio. There's just a couple of us that went out. And I, I was afraid of COVID. I did not want to get it, you know. And the and, uh, uh, city went into complete lockdown. And all day long on the radio, don't go out. Don't go out. Stay home. So I couldn't focus. I couldn't work on my own work. It, like this event right outside these windows, you have this once-in-a-lifetime event. New York City locked down, closed down. And I had been taking a couple shots of of it starting to lock down on my camera. And r- r- real early on, I'm like, you know what? I've got to get out there and I've got to photograph this. And then once I went out, I, I had a my daughter's 14-year-old bike for a 14-year-old girl's bike from Walmart, right? That's all I had. You could not buy a bike. You couldn't you couldn't right. buy any there were no bikes available. What about the city bikes? Were they not working? No, there that wasn't there. Oh, okay. You know, that wasn't there. There there were no options like like it was like or if it was it was, you could not get a bike. Got I it. had this this bike and Yeah. And right at the beginning I'm like you know what? I'm I'm going to document this. So I went out every day 
raining, cold, whatever it was, I just got on that bike. And, and in the beginning, I would pick a destination, like I'm going to go to um, the United Nations building, you know, and, and, and just document it. And then um, over time, it just went all over Manhattan. Hmm. And, and then I would post it on social media, on Facebook, and I built quite a kind of a real following because people weren't going outside. Right. And I was out every day. And and then um, um, I was here a lot. I would stay here and I'd go home every three days or four days, you know, mm. and, and see my wife and daughter. But we have a one bedroom. Right. And I can't work there. So it was it was amazing. And this was a, the building was kind of carry in, carry out. There's no no one did anything here, right? And and uh, they never told us we can't be here. So, so then some people along the way were like, document everything, don't stop. You know. So I for a year I photographed the city. Did anybody get a picture of you on that bike? Yeah, we got oh, some. Man, uh, I would love to see that. <laughs> I, and I got some shots in like in like reflective surfaces. Oh, nice. Okay. And and I eventually I, I kept I had the seat all the way up. Yeah. And then I started putting padding on it. To try. <laughs> like I'd be, it was like a tricycle. Yeah. I'd be like on the bike path pedaling and pedaling, oh, and people would be like going past me. All right. And then when I got a, a friend of mine, uh, Pat. Freaky from Omaha mailed me a bike at some point because oh. I posted the photographs. <laughs> he but, felt bad for you. <laughs> but that bike broke down a couple times. I had to get back on this. Oh man, this little kid's bike. Wow. And, and I, I had, I put foam padding and tape and everything, and like the, <laughs> and I photographed everything. Like I made it the journey. Right. I shared it. Nice. And long story short, I took, uh, uh, I put together with friends like uh, the same writer, mm -hmm. Jim Thornton, and Pat King designed the book. I put together a basic, like kind of the book, mm -hmm. stripped down a little bit, shopped it around, got some interest. I think it was too close to the event. I'm, I'm still gonna shop this around. Mm. I am gonna make a book, um, these photographs. Yeah. And, and, I know I, I have a lot of stuff nobody has for, for the simple reason I was alone out right. there. Uh, there was nobody in that beginning part. There was no one out there. Mm. And there was no one. I never saw anyone photographing till later. Right. So in the process of shopping that book through a connection of mine, Martin Peterson, that he introduced me to golf books, mm. to the... To, the uh, owner and we did a phone call and he said uh, um, I have a book coming out of a guy that was on a bike riding around Manhattan the same book mm. but it brought me to his attention right? right so he said what about a book of your drawings mm. and so I got there sideways right and and drawings it's even better right yeah. that's my whole yeah. career and and uh, I was a photographer for a year. I mean, my, my whole brain, everything changed. Like I, you know, mm. but so luckily I knew Jim Thornton. They said, you put it together. We pay for, we pay for the publishing. Then we're going to do, you know, our part in promotion and do whatever, get it out there. Yep. 
Um, and it's a, it's a great publishing house. It's mostly photography and architecture. So mm. I was an outlier there. Mm. And so I spent probably eight months making this book. And, and in the, what I wanted to do with the book, too, was I wanted the book interesting. And I didn't want it like every other art book where it's just about like writing about the work. Mm -hmm. And, and I, here I had this chance to tell my family's story. Mm. And that story and that narrative uh, is the underlying drive behind the drawings. Mm. And so the book, I have 52 images, 52 drawings, some, some oils, mm -hmm. like that one is, is in there, like oh, some yeah. oils in the series, yep. not big, like right. some sections of drawings. Jim Thornton is the writer, and Patrick King was the book designer, and put it put it together, and then they worked with editing. But I kind of had to do everything right, right. and um, and the book is was wonderful. It's like you know, there there's my what I've been doing for twenty years, and there's my family history, and and I'm really proud of what uh, proud of this book. Yeah, it's a. It's a beautiful book, like the quality of it and the documentation that's in there about your family really stood up. You know, I think that's just even having all those images that, you know, the drawings that your mom did when really she was younger, important. like it, it's it, it, it gives it more impact. Right. You know, when you have a story and a picture, there's something special about that. Yeah. And. And I only discovered a lot of those images when, when I had, my mom had uh, her me memory problems, uh, had to sell the house. Mm. It was just me. Like um, Tom had died. And, but in this chest in the basement, you know, I open up this chest and there's all these drawings of, wow. uh, of my, so that my mom So she kept them did. in like good condition. Yeah. They're wow. from the camps, you know. Yeah. And... Uh, my mom had written, she, she had translated a lot of stuff and she had written in high school. She, she had these first person narratives of, of things they went through. And her, her brother, oldest was, uh, he wrote really beautifully too, like, mm. like philosophical, like really cool. I was doing a lot of social media when I was taking the house apart. I was posting the, the stories, mm. first person stories. And right. then put combining them with the images oh okay and it got a huge reaction so that gave me that idea mm. to tell the family history and again if it, you know with my grandfather being an artist and my mom being an artist then it, and my older brother yeah and I was able to tell his story through the stories and then through images mm -hmm. I'm able to show what my brother could draw at 16 and then when the schizophrenia took over when it started coming on it moved into his imagery when he had the final schizophrenic breakdown, I show things that he did right before he died. And you know, it relates in a way back to my drawings in that I think everybody wants their story told. Yeah. And so even these damaged people that I sometimes draw, you know, that are alcoholics and they've been in prison, have these you know, pretty rough lives. It's their story and it's mm. their life. And I've drawn a lot of people that 
never thought they'd be in a work of art. Right. My primary subject matter is mostly Midwest and, you know, people that I grew up with. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we were talking about it before. It's like that family history just gave, gives context to the work that you're working on now. It makes more sense because yeah. of all of that that happened. Like it almost, I wouldn't say inevitable, but a lot of things are leading towards this outcome. And this is also in the book too, but my, the old masters are very seductive, right? Yeah. And it's like you start going in and then you start painting like them. And then my friend John, he gave me this double slap critique. He's like, not only have you appropriated 19th century painting techniques, but you're appropriating their subject matter. <laughs> you know, I was painting mermaids and, you know, yeah. because it was what I loved, you know, I'm right. looking at all this imagery and the, the fantasy and all, and all that. And it was a wake up call, real wake up call. And it made me want to shift and, and to try to capture our times. It's, a, it's like a 100% shift, you know. Mm-hmm from doing work that's about beauty and timeless work to representational work that shows the times we're living in now. Yeah. In an unsentimental and dignified way and not overblown and not over. I did one image of a hunter with a deer and I, I, I wanted it very neutral. Like I didn't, I, I didn't want it anti-hunting or pro-hunting right right? i think those those two words that you just used those are very difficult to pull off like unsentimental and dignified like in representational work it takes a lot of subtle subtlety to make those things work especially with the subject matter that you're dealing with you know it could easily go wrong in so many different directions but i think you've done a great job and like you said you know given dignity to these people. Um, yeah, yeah, that's, it's, that's super, that's very important. And, and I think, you know, if we're talking, opening, expanding the subject a little, uh, when it comes to um, representational artwork and particular, you know, figurative work, the subject matter is sort of the elephant in the room. Is it deeper than, or bigger than, than, you know, just a very attractive nude. Hmm. Or, I mean, it's it's a one point of reference that people latch on to because that's the thing they can relate to, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. And like you said, it can it, it can be overblown or it can be, you know, one one thing I run up against, uh, sadly, you know, is, is where maybe someone hasn't had the training. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, they didn't learn perspective from me, let's say. Right. No, I'm joking. Because <laughs> <of> the videos, <laughs> those are coming out, folks. But but uh, um, you got to know this stuff, mm. right? You know, one of the problems with art schools is 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 that you know people go through the art school and then they they're talking a lot of theory and then all of a sudden they decide they want to go become figurative, um, and their skills don't match their imagery, and yeah. and I have I can't get around that. I I. Not that everything has to be drawn correctly and perfectly. I don't mind distortion, but it has to be distortion with knowledge. Like like where it's distortion where like Egon Schiele or 
uh, like purposeful, concept. purposeful distortion. Yeah, well, there's say. knowledge behind it, like, right. uh, like it, it, where it's not because they can't draw. Yeah, an elongated figure, uh, you know, all, right, uh, all that, and so the other thing with subject matter is that for me, there's got to be a little mystery in it too. There's mm. got to be some subtlety and mystery. Where um, one of our teachers in Pennsylvania Academy, one of his rules was, uh, "Don't make a federal case out of it." Hmm. Like, like if the imagery is really obvious, you look. You get it, you're kind of finished, unless it's just amazingly painted. But I think art, like for me, great art, it has a mystery. You, 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 it, it unfolds slowly. Yeah, I think that's one of the differences between fine arts and illustration. Because illustration, it does, it has to be a one-liner. Right? You you're trying to convey an idea like right away in the most clear way. Yeah. Whereas fine arts, the story needs to unfold slowly. Yeah, and, and I would agree with that. And the and the other thing with, with say quote unquote fine arts is that the the narratives can be ambiguous too. Like like some of some of my imagery has more direct a direct narrative and then other ones are more open. Like I have my narrative behind it. Mm. Like on the cover, me and my brothers used to go down to the river and, and um, it's it's Dodge Park and it's this park where the North Omaha kids would go. It's a poor part of town, you know. Yeah. And um, so I set this image up there. The layers and the kind of meaning behind it, my meaning, what I pull out of it's different. You know? mm. and, and so hopefully, you know, each person's going to look at something and with a good work of art, they're going to pull what they want out of it. You know, and, and of course, as artists, we, we have no control of that. Yeah, it's funny. Everybody sees it differently. They always overlay their life story on top of yours. Yeah. So, yeah, which and, is great. Yeah. Which is fine. Hey, look, if they stop and look at the word. Right. Right there, you've, <laughs> you're, you're ahead of the game, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and then if they, if, they find the, if they find your work meaningful and they find something in it that's compelling... That's that's the whole that's the whole ball game, you know. A, I guess a, a big part of it is the idea, right? Mm. Okay, I'm gonna do an image, and I'm gonna and and part of it will be loneliness. So it's like there, there's ways to do that. Maybe the figure's small in a big room, how the figures turned, where the figures looking, uh, or or two figures and their 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 backs are to each other. So one thing about critiques. And at, at the academy, this is important too, uh, New York Academy, is that the students' intentions, right? The mm -hmm. artist's intentions, those are important. And that's why I like when they do the MFA critiques, the student talks about that this is what the work is about. Yep. And then the teachers can come in and, and go, like, I, I, I get that from it or I don't get that from it or it's not important, you know, mm -hmm. like, like, the intent it's still a beautiful work of art but right. but i think critiques someone going like i i wanted to do xyz or create or just do, let's say that create a sense of mystery with this figure critiques help yeah you know and i use critiques i have a couple of um i have three 
close friends that all come from different places mm. and, and will come in and look at an image and, and pull it apart or, you know, find better solutions or, or, or improve it. You know, yeah. I think that's also a word of advice, you know, for artists is um, to, you know, maintain their friendships and maintain their creative friendships and, and um, get people that c can come in and critique your work and look at it. Mm. Because as you know, it's tunnel vision. You're there yep. alone, you're working alone and, and getting a fresh set of eyes on, on an image can oh. be hugely helpful. Totally, totally. Yeah, because you don't know what you don't know. Like you, you have so many blind spots sometimes. Always, right? yeah. And you don't want to find out about those until the opening. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and simple stuff. I mean, sometimes right. you know, drafting stuff like the shoulder looks small, the hand looks big, but yeah. but it can be even deeper. Like you know, uh, like you're saying, intention or or you know, and, and and it could be subtle stuff. Like if people are looking too much at the clothes, you you could also take the color out of it. You know, mm. right? And, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, right. like if someone has a red dress and yellow shoes, and you know what I'm right. saying? Yep. It's a complicated crazy world that we live in as artists and we can use all the help we get we can get right <laughs> absolutely so what are what are your next steps like what do you have plans for i'm doing um a small oil painting of the next image just to play around with color and, and experiment i'm always pushing i try to push it all the time either whether i'm pushing for um my imagery, um, pushing the, you know, trying different compositions, maybe different application. Uh, it's subtle, you know. I, I've done some drawings where I go to hyper focus and everything's real sharp to, um, you know, as an experiment to, yeah. to see if I can do that. Um, but the the next image is of two of my cousins and. I've been working, I've been photographing it for three years, so it's been a long process, and that'll be my next drawing. I'm doing a small painting of it. I might take sections of it, and, and uh, I might take, like, my cousin uh, Andra, I might just take her and just do an oil just of her. That's, that's, I'm just continuing down the same path, and this is, I have my next image. Yeah. And variations of it. One is behind you, yep. you know. That's what I'll be doing. And things like this, hopefully, you know, promoting my book right. and getting my name out there as much as possible. Your book is in, uh, it's already in the second printing, right? The book went to a second printing. It's available everywhere online. It's in the Strand. Nice. For anyone who's in New York or visiting New York. One of the last remaining physical bookstores. <laughs> Best bookstore in, definitely in New York. And I... I, don't, I know there's good ones in San Francisco, right? Yeah. But like, it's, it's, uh, it's an institution. It's a landmark. It is a landmark, yeah. And, and, I, and there's so many great art books there. Oh, that art section is just amazing. And yeah. I got my book in there. Yeah. <laughs> that was a, a real achievement. But this has been great. And I hope people out there have enjoyed this. So where can uh, people find you? Online. EdgarJerns.com. Okay. So J-E-R-I-N-S. All right. And I'll also add that in the show notes. So it'll be easy to get to you and find you. 
people want to reach out to you, what's the best way they could reach you? Just the same last name, just ejerens at gmail.com. Okay. Real simple. The Jerens is a, it means little lamb in Latvian. So it's a very rare name in Latvia and even more rare in the big world. Wow. <laughs> Speaking of, uh, have you ever been to Latvia? Yeah, I had two shows there. Oh, no way. Yep. I showed when I was doing just oils. I, I had a big show there. One year after they, the tanks were rolling through, the Soviet wow. tanks. It was pretty amazing. And then I had a show and I brought 14 of my drawings over. You had a solo at the Latvia Museum, right? It was at, the, the, the first show was at the Latvian Foreign Art Museum. And then the second show was sponsored by the European Union. But That's really, really great. This has been fun and I hope you have all the success in the future. Well, thank you very much, and I've really enjoyed our conversation. Cool. All right. Until next time. Until next time. Bye. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Edgar, and I have some updates about the podcast before I sign off today. The Art Grind will be taking a break for a while as we plan to update our content so our listeners can get the best out of these interviews. This will be a good time to get some feedback on what you like and things you don't like about this podcast. So feel free to reach out to us at artgrindpodcast at gmail.com. Our host, Dina Brosky, will no longer be joining us in the future since she's moved on to other projects and concentrating more on artwork. But the show must go on, so Marshall and I will still be running this podcast, and we will be back with new episodes later this year after the break. So till next time, bye.